uh, ended up putting together a pitch deck uh, for Jack Dorsey and the core team. Uh, this would have been back seven years ago or so, uh, saying, here's why Square should do banking. Here's what it might look like. And let's start with this model of uh, giving sellers instant access to their funds, since you know, we, we know through the usage of instant transfers that sellers value that. And we can do that by changing to a stored balance model, rather than being this middleman of money that goes into a bank account, move it into a balance of Square, and then give them a business debit card connected to that so that they can have instant access to their funds, but for free from this account. So Jack and team, they said, all right, go for it, grab two engineers and come back in six months. And that was the beginning of us building out Square debit card, which uh, in the last few years became Square checking and we rolled out with a lot of other banking tools. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. On our podcast, we interview some of the top minds at work building the next generation of financial services. In its work with small businesses and consumer payments, Square is definitely one of the companies that matters. Christina Rikers heads up Square Banking, which serves about 1 million small business owners with checking, savings, and loans. She leads engineering, product design, product marketing, operations and policy, and data science. For Christina, helping solve liquidity issues runs deeper than just a job. She co-founded and led Evidence Action, a nonprofit that addresses health concerns for 200 million plus children annually and provides over 4 million East Africans with access to safe water. This work has a direct economic impact on their lives. Christina's work doing good informs her professional life too and the way she looks at finance, but it also works in reverse. Her experiences building at scale have proven helpful in her work building efficient charity organizations. It's clear for her that providing the right tools and opportunities can make a huge difference. Christina Rikers is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. My name is Christina Rikers, and I'm the general manager of banking at Square. I've been here for about eight years, and today I'm leading Square Banking, which uh, is comprised of Square Checking, Square Savings, and Square Loans, which are all products to help our small business owners run their business. That's awesome. And before we talk about um, Square Banking itself, I, I'd, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better personally. Um, I know we're talking about expanding the aperture to, to funding underserved communities, and that's a, that's a topic we've spoken to a few folks at, at Square about. But I know it's a clearly a big deal for you. Can you share some of your um, professional and, and, um, and outside activity in that space? Sure. So before I was at Square, I spent a lot of time abroad, really just curious about some of the big problems in the world, especially as it uh, pertained to poor communities in, in East Africa and India. And uh, you know that, that took me to rural East Africa where I was spending time with small business owners who were getting $50 grants to start up small businesses. Uh, then took me to India where I was working for a solar powered lights company. Uh, they made solar powered lights for households without electricity for $20. And we found that even that was too expensive for the households we were looking to serve. So I partnered with India's largest microfinance organization to be able to finance these lights. So households would only pay a dollar every week or two uh, to be able to afford having, having light at night in their households. And then after that, I was really intrigued by a lot of the research going on in the academic community of economists who were testing out what actually works when it comes to uh, improving the quality of people's lives in developing countries. And 
they had run these big randomized control trials. You can think, you know, for, for software minds out there, you can think about it as a complex A-B testing of something like having an extra teacher in a classroom and what the impacts on that are. Um, and they found incredible impacts when you did something like deworming children uh, who lived in countries where parasitic worms were a problem and found that uh, if you dewormed children using school-based distribution methods, so you have you know, teachers once a year hand out deworming pills, uh, the effects over the next year would do things like reduce school absenteeism by 20%. And when they did a 10-year study looking back at this population, they thought, found, oh my goodness, um, kids who are in this treatment group for getting uh, deworming medication had 10 percentage points higher completion of secondary school exams, for example. And you know the, the men who were dewormed as children worked three and a half more hours a week. So you actually saw income effects and other things. So you know some of this work is very focused on finance, but then some of the work that I, I took on was saying, how do you even level the playing field more from the start? And so co-founded an organization called Evidence Action, uh, which took some of these public health interventions that had hugely promising results on uh, young children and, and what their future lives could be. And we figured out how do you scale that up to hundreds of millions of people a year. Well, I'm just thinking about like this type of experience and how formidable it must have been in, in, in your career, though we don't necessarily have the same issues in the US. I mean, there's still parallels, right, in terms of, of delivering um, health care to needy people so that that can actually improve uh, their financial lives, right? Certainly, and and so much of this starts early on, right? How do we give everyone the the kind of basic foundations of being able to uh, pay better attention in school uh, or have the infrastructure in their homes needed to to study and go about their day and having that that kind of basic stability that so many of us take for granted? Um, it plays out in uh, hugely uh, significant ways later on in people's lives. So uh, so. Do you still maintain an active, um, I guess, nonprofit life as well, like continuing to, to do that work that, that was um, such an important part of your career? I do. Uh, I'm on the board of Evidence Action. And so today, Evidence Action remains a top-rated international charity, uh, kind of has about uh, $30 million in annual funding, uh, helps deworm over 200 million children a year, uh, plus has other public health interventions uh, from safe water to maternal health programs uh, annually. So uh, interesting timing. I actually have a board meeting uh, tomorrow early morning uh, for Evidence Action. It's such a pleasure to, to stay involved and um, be an advocate for that work continuing. That's awesome. And, and thank you for doing that work. I, this may be a weird question. I mean, so you mentioned um, that there's some over, there's some learnings that you took from the nonprofit world to the to to Square. Um, is, is there anything that works the other direction? Yes, there is. I think um, some of the things that I've taken from Square and brought back to Evidence Action uh, have been perhaps things around uh, focus and an organizational culture and. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let me give you a few more concrete examples. Um, you know, one thing that I so loved when I started at Square um, was uh, Square had a focus on kind of called the four corners, and it included things like start small, uh, you know, break the rules, not the laws, to be clear, but you know, kind of like it had this scrappy 
approach to how you did product development. Mm -hmm. And at Evidence Action, uh, we were wrestling with uh, how did we continue to be innovative and find the next new thing that the research was saying could have a huge impact while also uh, maintaining and growing these huge at scale programs like deworming in partnership with government, right? So, you know, on one hand, you have a team that is helping governments deworm hundreds of million children a year. And on the other hand, you want to continue uh, being part of that pipeline of what's coming out of academia to say, what are some of these, these nuggets of uh, promising interventions that we should help wrestle with and figure out uh, and test in the field uh, and find partners for and scale up. Um, so that mode of both serving uh, existing customers with existing products and having an innovation muscle is something that was really dear and near and dear to my heart at Square because it's what we're doing all the time, right? We have a, you know, a big payments business, uh, a huge lending business as we'll get into a little bit later. Um, and at the same time, I want my teams to continue uh, taking those little nuggets of information that they're seeing and hearing from our small business owners and saying, huh, what is that uh, unmet need that we're hearing about right now? How might we actually try to solve that and taking a more scrappy approach? So we took some of the ways that we work at Square uh, and spent time with the evidence action team to kind of separate the teams who are doing those two things, but having them closely connected enough that they could learn from each other. And you know, when something came through uh, the, the scrappy part, which we call the evidence action accelerator, it had a path to uh, kind of maturing and, and scaling uh, if it was indeed successful. That's fascinating. I'm waiting to read the book. <laughs> that could um, be a fun one. Yeah, I'm just waiting for you to write that. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I want to come back to, to banking at, at Square, and, and you know, we've been covering Square uh, and 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 seeing you know banking take root there and expand into into like as you mentioned lending and obviously core banking. But um, before we get into like the how you do it, I, I'm curious if if having launched banking has what kind of insight that provides to the merchants that you're working with. Does serving them on in does serving them in that way give you added insight or different insight into sort of what their needs are and their behaviors? It does. I think once you get you know, Square has always been at that early point of the cash flow by allowing a seller to to take a payment. Uh, you understand their sales coming in. You understand something about their customers. Um, and with banking products. Now you start seeing, okay, what happens after they take a sale? Uh, how do they spend that money? Um, when do they have larger investment needs for which they might have a loan? And it helps you paint a better picture of the seller's overall, uh, both health of the business, um, as well as some of their needs and, and ways that perhaps we're not solving them today and where there's more we can do. And, and was, the interest in getting that level of insight and that level of, I guess, intimacy with, with your customers, was that part of the sort of genesis for moving into banking? Not exactly. It really started from seeing the needs of the sellers. So, mm -hmm. so perhaps I'll back up a little bit and tell you uh, about how it came about uh, for, from my perspective. So I joined Square eight years ago. And from early on, I was helping build a product we call Instant Transfers. Uh, already with Square, Back then and today, sellers would uh, automatically get their sales the next business day sent to their bank account. Now, that was free, part of payments. Well, we offered a product called Instant Transfers, and that allowed a seller to pay an additional fee and press a button, 
and have all their sales immediately uh, end up in their bank account. So we launched this and it grew incredibly quickly. You know, where, you know, I was a product manager at the time mm-hmm. and uh, any product manager's dream is to see their product just hockey stick up and up and to the right, uh, yeah. which it did. Um, but I found myself a little bit taken aback because I was just shocked. So many sellers were willing to pay to get their money immediately. There rather was such than an appetite to get at the, at the cash, huh? Exactly. And hmm. so it led me down uh, a bit of a rabbit hole of just spending a lot more time with our sellers. I was going to their homes, going to their offices, trying to paint a more holistic picture of their business lives, but also their personal lives, which were often so intertwined in their business decisions. And I came to see that the sellers who are using instant transfers, it generally fell into two camps. You had one camp of seller who they were just that cash flow constrained. They needed the money right then. And, you know, I spoke to this one baker who said it was Friday. I was $200 short from being able to run payroll. And I used instant transfers, uh, paid you all $2 to get my $200 right then. And I didn't have to tell all of my hourly employees who were living paycheck to paycheck. I can't pay you until Tuesday. And she said that that was so valuable. I would have paid you all $20 to be able to do that. So you started seeing the huge value that this product had for kind of an emergency cash flow tool. So that was one group of sellers. And then there was another group of sellers and they didn't have that same literal cash flow crunch. But when you started talking with them about their money, about their cash flow and their finances, you could start to sense so the stress building up and the, the, the um, insecurity they felt around the finances. Because you know, people don't start uh, a cafe because they care about accounting and, and cash flow, right? You, uh, you love food. It's like you in spite of that, yeah. You have all these other reasons that you're starting a business. And for a lot of our small business owners, the finance piece of it was the most unsettling and, and the most unfamiliar and scary. And so you would find sellers using instant transfers just to make sure they had enough in their account. Maybe the week before they'd been hit by a $35 insufficient funds fee from their bank because you know, the timing of their revenue came in, uh, wasn't quite aligned with when a vendor uh, charged them, that type of thing. So as I spent more time with the second group of sellers, I thought, huh, okay, well, instant transfers is doing something to offer them peace of mind. But it's really more of a band-aid. They're, they're ha- struggling with these underlying issues of um, mismatch between their, their revenue and their costs, um, a lack of insight or understanding of when their money's coming in or what's gonna come out. And we ought to be able to do better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Square, why couldn't Square offer business banking? Why couldn't we offer better ways for small business owners to manage their cash flow and have access to their funds right when they needed it? And so that was the impetus to starting Square Banking. Uh, ended up putting together a pitch deck uh, for Jack Dorsey and the core team. Uh, this would have been back seven years ago or so, uh, saying, here's why Square should do banking. Here's what it might look like. And let's start with this model of uh, giving sellers instant access to their funds, since you know, we, we know through the usage of instant transfers that sellers value that. And we can do that by changing to a stored balance model rather than mm-hmm. being this middleman of money that goes into a bank account, move it into a balance of square 
and then give them a business debit card connected to that so that they can have instant access to their funds, but for free from this account. So Jack and team, they said, all right, go for it, grab two engineers and come back in six months. And that was the beginning of us building out Square Debit Card, which uh, in the last few years became Square Checking and we rolled out with a lot of other banking tools. I, th it's pretty amazing that you 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 made this pitch and and given the culture at Square, Jack just said, yeah, take, you know, go do it. Like, is, is does that point to sort of a receptivity at Square to really like, focus on, on customers and, and, and serving them in all ways possible? It, it certainly does. It's, uh, we've spent a lot of time embracing the jobs to be done uh, kind of philosophy that Clay Christensen mm -hmm. uh, helped popularize over the years of uh, trying to understand the underlying needs of what our customers are trying to do uh, and not being too stuck with what they're asking for specifically, but saying, what are really the motivation and the underlying needs going on here? And what are some ways you could actually address those? And I, I think we have the belief that if we're serving our sellers, if we're building them products that make their lives easier, that save them time, uh, that seller, sellers will continue choosing us to, to help them run more of their business. That's awesome. I'm, I'm curious, Christina, what, what you've seen um, since launching banking, um, how your customers have responded, maybe some trends in the business, any data points you can you can point to? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so when we we officially launched Square Banking about two years ago, and that was bringing together what we built up of Square Checking, which I just spoke to, uh, Square Savings, and bringing that together with our lending business, which had already been uh, kind of active and quite popular for a number of years. So that was Square Banking that we launched two years ago. And we've seen a continual appreciation of our sellers for automation. Uh, so, you know, one of the most valuable resources for business owners in time. And so when we're able to offer them tools that give them time back, uh, they're, they're grateful for it. You know, one thing I, I like to think about is, um, what a job description for a small business owner would look like, you know, right at Square, you can go to our job page and we'll list your software engineering job. Here's the, the responsibilities, the expectation. It's kind of straightforward. If you saw a job description for a small business owner, it'd be kind of ridiculous, right? It would be uh, wearing invest 50 some hats, of your own money right? yeah. in uh, something that is probably not going to work out. Um, uh, have it creep over to every, you know, every facet of your life, every element yeah. of your business, professional Hire and private people who will probably uh, a trit faster than, than normal because they're in kind of perhaps low wage service jobs. Um, you know, get texts from them at night when they're uh, sick and not going to come in the next day and make sure to take their shift, right? The, the list goes on and on and on. And it's, it's, and it's fundamental to Square strategy, which is uh, a belief that sellers have too many tools to run their business. And if we can help them uh, by integrating more of those tools and becoming this unified commerce ecosystem, we can save them more time and let them get back to what it is they love about running their business. And so, so are there specific things you can point to in the business that shows that, that you're doing that or that, that, that they're turning to Square for more and more of that? So they don't have to go out and use those seven to 10 other apps? Yeah, there, there is. I think, um, well, in terms of the data points that I'd say that we sort of see around 
automation are. Um, uh, actually, you can look at Square's future of commerce report. It's quite interesting. Um, one thing they found was that 76% of consumers said they prefer retailers to use automation technology instead of relying on on-site staff uh, for at least one area. And that 91% of retailers plan or want to use more backend and, and customer support automation to decrease their staff members' hands-on time. So, you know, you hear the sentiment is there. Um, the other types of product integrations that we see our sellers using that also reinforce this time-saving element um, are things like Square Savings. So Square Savings is quite distinctive from what's offered at other business bank accounts because the way it works is a small business owner can set up what we call folders, you know, maybe a folder for taxes or a folder for payroll uh, or a folder for rent and have a certain percentage of their sales automatically go into that folder. And so, you know, if you're putting aside 13% for taxes, you know, when tax time comes, you'll have funds set aside and you don't have to scramble at the last minute to find funds to pay your, your sales tax or whatever comes up. Or for example, you put money into a savings folder for, for payroll. And then if you're using Square Payroll, you're able to automatically pay your, your run your payroll uh, when you have those funds right in Square Checking. Um, and so all these things are ways where there's kind of, we're increasingly saving sellers time um, by automating things while still giving them the control that they want. And I know like reading research reports and, and from the different folks I've spoken to at, at Square, um, you really align like two different ecosystems. You have like the merchant eco ecosystem and, and, and the cash app ecosystem. Is there overlap? Does banking connect the two at all? So Square and cash app are business units within the parent company of Block. Wow. And we share a dedication to our company's mission of economic empowerment. Um, from there, we're both focused on different customer bases, right? So Square's focused on small business owners and cash is focused on individual consumers. Uh, and you know, part of the impetus for Square Banking was a recognition that the needs of small business owners are different when it comes to their cash flow. Uh, I think what you'll see with traditional financial institutions is they might just slap the, the, the word business in front of their consumer bank account and call it a business bank account. And we knew we wanted to do something different. Um, so for that reason, you'll find the products that we're offering to, to be um, focused in different ways on our respective audiences. That said, I, you know, we're always looking for areas where we can help uh, leverage the others. And so I think one nice example of that is for Square Debit Card, we're on the same platform as a Cash App card, right? And so there's no reason why we can't share uh, infrastructure in particular to help run products, even if the uh, nuances and products features there are, are tailor-made to the needs of our customers. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I know we have time for just one more question. And I'm kind of curious, as you look out into you know the second half of this year, what are your priorities with banking? Where are you taking it? Like anything you can share with us about the, the future of banking? It's sure. So I think there's a uh, two two things to speak to, which is one, how we ex continue expanding access to credit, and then the others are focused on global. So first of all, when it comes to access to, to credit, uh, Square has been quite unique in our approach to lending for small business owners, uh, whereas traditional lenders are looking at a mix of things to decide somebody's credit worthiness, um, everything from personal credit score to liquidity. Square has traditionally just looked at a seller's sales. So looked at 
how are you doing today? Where do you think, where do we think the business is going to assess their ability to take on credit? And when we see that, all right, uh, based on this mix of um, kind of how you take payments, the regularity of it and the, the volume, um, we know that you're good for a certain amount and we can proactively uh, extend you a loan offer and also save you time by holding back a percentage of your sales for the repayment. Um, this has been hugely successful for Square. Uh, we lend over a billion dollars a quarter uh, and, um, and sellers love it, right? They love the fact that we will send them an email and say, uh, you have a $10,000 loan offer, if that's helpful for you and your business. And we will, here's how we would automatically get it repaid. So we're, we're continuing to build off of the success of our loans program. Um, and at the end of last year, we announced a partnership we have with American Express launching the Square Credit Card. So that's the type of kind of expansion of credit opportunities that you'll see more of uh, with Square Banking over the, the next year. And we're really excited uh, about that. The other area that you'll see is in global. So we have brought Square Loans into uh, our, our global markets over the last few years, and we're going to continue to do that um, because these cash flow struggles that we spoke about, those aren't unique to, to the U.S. Those are problems that small business owners around the world have. Um, and, you know, even as I was saying with loans in the U.S., we find that we're able to serve um, more underserved communities than you typically have. And we believe the same is true in global. You know, so if you look at our data from 2022, more than half of our sellers who took a square loan last year were women-owned businesses. 56% of sellers were women-owned businesses. And before taking a loan with Square, 28% of these women-owned businesses had loan applications that were rejected by traditional lenders. Uh, we think a similar opportunity to serve more women-owned businesses exists globally. And so we're really excited to continue bringing our, our loans program and other banking cash flow uh, tools to our non-US markets. That's awesome. Christina, thanks so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you for having me.